Welcome to the Encounter Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Amazing to me to see what I see, to see, to see where we came from and what we lived together, and then see what God does through all this. It's incredible. It really is. It's wonderful. It's, it's really what it's about. If we go any further, let's pray. Jesus, it's all about you. It's by you, it's for you, it's through you and it's unto you. It's all about you, Lord. God, as we go into the word tonight, Lord, we just ask that not you just open our, our eyes or our, heart, our minds, but God, that you would open our hearts. That God, we would receive this word, Lord, and it would bring life to us. God, as we look into your word, it says that when we see you, we become more like you. And God, when we look into your word and we see who you are and what you've done and your tremendous love and grace to us, Lord, it changes us into your image. And God, it's so wonderful, Lord, that the things you've done and who you are, and to be able to even take a little bit of who you are and what you've done and make us into what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Wow, that's loud. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm Charlie, of course, and, uh, you know, I, I would just like to say, um, in the midst of all this, in the midst of all this chaos and confusion that the world's in, and believe me, Seattle is just as bad, if maybe not worse, is that, um, you know, in, uh, it says in Luke 2 that Caesar ruled all the world. And Caesar and then Herod, it said, sat on the throne. They weren't good guys. And it says that Caesar put a tax on the whole world. Every man was burdened with a tax. They had to come to their home city. It was difficult. It was hard. It was a difficult taxing time. And it's a difficult taxing time that we're going through now, isn't it? It doesn't matter who rules or reigns. But it says, in that place where Caesar ruled and where Herod ruled, it says, in that same region, I like that, in the same place, it says, there were shepherds watching over the flock by night. And it says, a great light shined about them. Oh, by the way, it was by night. Dark, taxing times. In that same place where people were going through the dark, taxing times, it said, a light shined round about them. He said, behold, I give you glad tidings of great joy. Good news. In a taxing, dark time. He says, for born unto you this day in the city of David is a Savior. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive in these times. All the things that goes on around us, all the people that we see, all the stories we're here, 
You know, it says in the book of Psalms, it says, we don't have to be afraid of bad news. That's what it says. Why? Because he brings glad tidings of great joy. In the middle of all this, we can have great joy if we stop looking at these things. And then who did he proclaim it to? But he proclaimed it to a bunch of temple, poor temple shepherds and the sheep. (laughs) We have the message. Jesus is alive. We have the message. Amen? And if we can focus on that, if we can take our eyes off who's ruling or what's going on or what they've done, the the whole world is going crazy. The whole world is going through difficult times. There are problems beyond our belief. But the whole thing is Jesus is alive. Amen? Jesus is alive. And this is what we need to look at. This is what we need to focus our lives on. Amen? So, um, uh, Pastor Stephen and Portia told me to... uh, Give, me a, give you a little bit of my testimony. I don't know how you give a little bit, but uh, anyway. <laughs> you ever notice in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Numbers, it says, and so-and-so begets so-and-so, and so-and-so begets so-and-so, and so-and-so begets so-and-so, and so And you're thinking, how many pages is this going to beget? Huh? <laughs> you know, it's like the telephone booth. I mean, the telephone book. Remember them? The telephone book. All these names. And they're not really important, are they? Until you see yours. Now, all of a sudden, so-and-so beget Charlie. And Charlie begets so-and-so. And that now, all of a sudden, those begets have life. They have life. And what... Pastor Stephen was saying about James McCurdy is Pastor James McCurdy beget Charlie Champ. And Pastor James McCurdy beget Willie Stinson. And all these tons of other people that you cannot believe that came within Frankie and, and James's life. And God used them to give life to us. That now is a new ball game. Your name and my name is behind somebody else's name or in front of it. And you know, when, when, I, was, when I was a kid, I never, I never grew up in a Christian home. Well, you know, we acknowledged Jesus, I guess. I mean, you know, we talked about it, you know, never went to church or anything. And anyway, I grew up in a home, probably not much different than anybody else's home. It was a pretty broken home. My dad drank everything away, and, you know, and uh, my mom... Not much touch or feel or anything. You know, I mean, I don't, it's not a big thing to me, but I mean, you know. But, uh, but my mom, through all the hardship and the pain and the struggles and everything, she decided to find her strength through somewhere else. And my mom became a witch, and she began to practice a lot of witchcraft in the home and stuff. And so we had a lot of problems from that. We had a lot of uh, issues from that. And our home just became devastated. No one was ever there. And so, you know, it, through a series of circumstances and stuff. By the way, I grew up in a little town, by the way, of Cheyenne, Wyoming. And uh, anyway, uh, so here this kid from Cheyenne, Wyoming, all of a sudden, you know, he begins to act out and do things. And so I left home at 15 years old and I hit the streets. And uh, I lived in cars and bathrooms. I saw, I remember, I can remember seeing a picture of a skyscraper in a, in a, uh, in a history book. And I, you, you don't have them in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Anyway, so, and I go, wow, I bet you they got some of them in Denver, and that's only an hour and a half away. So I stuck my thumb out, 
and I hit Denver, Colorado, and after that I thought I was Lewis and Clark. And uh, anyway, uh, through a series of living on the streets, living in bathrooms and stuff, you know, I got hooked up with the wrong people, and so, you know, there was drugs and alcohol and everything else. Um, our drugs kind of went from one thing to another, and after a while I found myself blasting dope and stuff, and, you know, my life just began to tumble. And it didn't have any purpose, it didn't have any meaning anymore, the drugs didn't do it anymore, nothing else did it. And uh, I was telling Brez and Regina, and one day I was sitting waiting for some friends of mine, and uh, I was waiting in the house with my mom, and my mom was watching TV, and all of a sudden I felt something that I'd never felt before in my life. I felt such a compassion, a love. I, I, can't, I can't explain it. I know, I know what it is now, but I couldn't explain it. I have never felt the presence of God ever in my life. Never. I never felt love, you know, the way, you know, I've never felt loved. I never felt touched. I never felt anything like that. So for this, for me just to be sitting in a chair with my mom, and she's sitting across from me, and I'm thinking, okay, what is this? Am I losing my mind? What's going on? Is this a reaction to something I've done, you know, or something? I mean, what's going on? And I go, I, go, I, know, it's, I know it's different, but I, I don't know. I'm scared of it, but it's so wonderful. I don't want it to stop, but it better stop because I think I'm losing my mind. And so it just kept coming in waves and waves and waves. And I just break, broke down, and I began to cry. And my mom's looking at me, and she said, what's wrong with you? Good question. Uh, and... I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. And she says, are you on drugs? Good question. <laughs> I go, no, I'm not. I go, I don't know what this is. I go, all I know, and I remember that day, that day, that day right there when I sat in that house with my mom and I looked over at her and I said, all I know is I got to go find God or something. Listen, the scriptures is right. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. How that works, people have debated it for thousands of years. I know you think you know it. Okay. And, uh, but I have no idea. And so for probably months after that, or a year, um, I'd gotten married, and my marriage failed because I was such a, you know, I mean, it, it, what, it was just a mess. Everything was a mess, and she left. And, and after she left, it just seems like that things begin to grow further and further downhill. And uh, I'd just be riding in my car. And all of a sudden, there it come again. And I said, the presence of God. And I go, what is going on? And I, I just begin to weep, and I begin to cry, and I begin to say, you know, what is this? It's the most wonderful thing I've ever experienced. I had no idea who it was. I just knew some way it had to do with God or something. And so I would go to a Bax, a Catholic church, and no one ever had to tell me to pray. No one ever had to, I mean, to pray, to repent. No one ever had to tell me to repent. I would go back in these Catholic churches I figured I knew it had something to do with God. So I'd sit back there and I'd just weep and cry and everything. And I found myself saying, God, help me not to be the way I am. Help me to be different. Help me to do... I never was afraid of him. I was never afraid of hell. I was never afraid of him, what he could do to me. But what he was doing to me is what they used to say back in the 1800s, the Christians. And instead of saying they were saved or or, or, or um, born again or whatever, those are great terms, but they said, I was overcome by a great affection. And that's what it was. I was being overcome by a great affection. This went on probably for another year, and she was gone, and I, uh, I struggled, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, making money. I did whatever I could. I stole, I dealt drugs, I did everything. And uh, anyway, so I went to a... Um, 
I heard from my wife at that time, and she was, she told me about, um, she was in Houston, Texas. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go see what that's about, and then if that don't work, I'll go into Mexico and buy some dope, and then, you know, we'll see how it goes from there. You know, I mean, you know, it's so, uh, anyway, so I went to see her, and she didn't want to see me, but I went to this trailer in Houston, Texas on Airline Drive. And when I walked and I knocked on the door, a black man answered the door. And I said, I'm looking for Don. And uh, he just, I can't remember exactly how it went down, but anyway, he talked to me a little bit and he knew she didn't want to see me, but he, and, uh, he said, can I, I would like to talk to you. You know, uh, you know, I would like to you know, just talk to you and, you know, and, and about things. And I said, no, I got to go, you know, because I, I needed a cigarette. So I remember I wanted to go outside and have a cigarette. And I was taken off, but he kept saying, would you just let me talk to you? Would you let me talk to you about, about something, you know? And he began to tell me about Jesus. He began to tell me about, um, about a God who, you know, who died. He began to quote scriptures to me, which were absolutely meaningless to me. But I knew there was something there. I knew, and I was desperate. My life had hit the bottoms. I had no, no, I had no desire for, for drugs. I had no desire for anything else, but I didn't know what to do. I was so empty, and my life was chasing me. The dragons that, of the things that I had done was chasing me. I had five felonies against me. I was on probation. I had all these things and everything, and my life was beginning to tumble. And I needed somewhere. I go, I go, I needed somewhere. I needed something, but I didn't know what it was. And this man set me down at his dining room table. I'll never forget it. I was sitting in his dining room table. He was sitting across from me. And he began to tell me about you can have a new life. You can be born again. And he was a good artist, and he drew a picture of a little baby. And I still just didn't quite get it. But, I, but he goes, would you like to do this? And I go, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, you know, it was so foreign to me to hear something like this. And he said, he can make your life new. He can start you over. He can give you purpose. He loves you. He cares deeply about you. And he goes, he goes would you just let me pray for you? I go, sure. I mean, you know, I, I knew what he was saying was good. I, knew, I didn't know how right it was, but I knew what he was saying was good. So he got me up out of the dining room chair, and he set me on another chair. And he walked over, and he placed his hands on me. And I'm telling you, I thought what I experienced before was something. But the power and the presence and the love of God came upon me and so overwhelmed me. I could not believe. I could not believe there was someone that was alive that could love me and care about me and fulfill me the way this God did. And like I always tell bros, I always say, the kid that sat down in that chair, the kid that was so lost and without a purpose, the kid that was running from his past, the kid that felt like there was no life and there was nothing left ahead of him, that kid is not the kid that stood up. I'm telling you, that is not the kid that stood up. I used to just, people, I remember my, they told, Frankie told 
my ex Charlie got saved and she goes he can't get saved if he can be saved the devil can be saved <laughs> so there's hope for the devil and uh, <laughs> if he can be saved the devil can be saved and no one really wanted that much to do with me and I can remember I walked around him and I was so overcome I go I can't believe it I would just walk and I would just talk to the Lord and I would just weep and cry and I said what kind of God is this I said out of everything I tried in my life everything I put in my arm everything I smoked everything I mean all of you have tried or many of you have tried Mike's not much different than any of yours but out of everything I said, why didn't someone tell me about this Jesus before? Why didn't I know that? I wasn't afraid of hell. I could care less about hell. Why would a God that loves me this much want to put me in hell? I mean, I was overcome by his love. I wasn't overcome by a fear. And when you, if you're sitting here and you're only serving God out of fear because you don't want to go to hell, you are missing out. But just like we talked about before when those shepherds, when the angel came to the shepherds and he says, he proclaimed you, born this day in the city of David, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and he will touch you and he will make you new. He'll give you purpose. He'll give you fulfillment. He'll give you completeness. He'll give you grace. He'll give you mercy. Our Jesus is alive. All I knew was I... I liked what I was getting and I liked it a lot and I just wanted to stay in this and I needed this and I wanted this and he looked at me and when I was through it I'm thinking oh my gosh what in the heck just happened you know they, we used to sing a song a long time ago it said when I looked at my hands and they looked new and I looked at my feet and they did too remember that song really? it was true I, I'm not, I don't like exaggerations I am telling you this Jesus made me alive. This Jesus made me alive, and he can do the same for you. And he looked at me, and he said, do you have anywhere to go? I go, no, I don't. I have nowhere to go. And all the time, Frankie, Frankie was over there in the kitchen, smothered round steak and gravy, and greens. Now this honky white boy ain't ever had nothing like that before, okay? But I was hungry. <laughs> and he said, yes you do, you have a place to stay right over there. He didn't have enough room in his house for anything. All the kids, he had four kids I think then, and then and all the rooms were taken, but he had a couch. And he put me on his couch. He hardly knew me from nobody. And then I sat down and Frank goes, hey, Charlie, you want something to eat? <laughs> I go, I sure do. And I go, I had no idea. I go, I thought the Holy Ghost was good. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I was converted. I was no longer white. <laughs> now you can only imagine after all these years knowing I'm always going to be this color. <laughs> but he took me in and he taught me the Bible he labored with me he, we moved from Houston, Texas we moved to the projects of West Oakland on 6th and Castro and we lived, well, you, you weren't there then were you Willie we just moved from there right we moved, lived in the projects of West Oakland a Wyoming boy going from 
gravy and rice and Jesus Christ to the project, you know? <laughs> and here I was. And God, he spent six years. Six years. Six years. And in six years, we had times of laughter. We had times of arguments. We had times of pain. We had times of joy. But the thing was, is that we were all together in a place and there was safety and there was caring and there was loving and we were a family and at the end of the day we all loved one another. There was times when my greatest times of seeing Jesus move was in those homes. When we would have times of prayer downstairs, all of us in a room, and God would begin to move. And it so touched my life. Seeing Frankie, I remember, I remember when I first got saved, Frankie, she, this guy came in the house, and I'm only saved two weeks. And this guy comes in, and she, he, she says, do you know the Lord? There was a gal there, you know, she was saved, and she turned to the other guy, and she goes, do you know Jesus? He goes, no, I don't know Jesus. She goes, why not? He goes, well, I'm... I don't know if I believe or not. A wrong thing to say. <laughs> she goes, what? And I'm watching her. And she goes, she stands up and she goes, let me tell you about my Jesus. And man, she begins to teach. And she began to talk about, oh, how God had been good to her, how he had never left her, and how he had never forsaken her, and her great commitment, and his great love to her, and how much she loved him, and how real he was, and saying, you can't believe, you don't believe there's a God like that? And I looked at her, and I go, what kind of woman is this? Really, what kind of woman is this? I'd never seen anything like that. And for years and years, I could hear her saying in the morning down there in the house, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. I love you, Lord. Oh, Jesus. I thank you. I thank you for everything you've done. I thank you for my children, Lord. I thank you for my husband, Lord. Oh, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you. And I'd go downstairs, and I'd look at her, and I'd go, what's going on, Frankie? She goes, just crying out to the Lord, child, just crying out to the Lord. <laughs> Those are people that teach you how to pray. Those are people that we come within a community. We, it was like a little city. It was like a hiding place that I had. It was a place of refuge for my soul. It was a place of loving and caring and suffering and forbearing with one another and forgiving one another and standing close to one another. Oh, much like, oh, you guys have heard this before. There in the book of Numbers, there was another city, a city of refuge. In Numbers 35, he speaks of a city of refuge. The city was for someone, actually it was a city that was for a man who was doomed to a certain death and gave that man life. That's what it was. It was a place where people who had, who had committed involuntary manslaughter and when they would, and 
after, when they committed the manslaughter, the next of kin, the closest relative, would go after them for vengeance. They would try to kill them to get back for what they had done to their relative. But God had put six cities of refuge, six of them, three on one side of the Jordan and three on the other side of the Jordan. And these cities were meant for people who had committed something worthy of death and would save their life. They say that the roads, and they said that the roads sometimes to the, to the city's refuge were sometimes were over 50 feet wide. They made them that wide so they'd be easily accessible. They said they were set up on a hill or set up on a high place so they could be seen. So you didn't have any trouble seeing it knowing how to get to it. The road would always have to be cleared. They'd always clear the road. And when he went to that city of refuge, the congregation would look at him and hear his cause. And it says when he told them what he had done, when he confessed what he had done, they brought him into that city. And when he went into that city, he had to stay there. By the way, that city was made up of what? Murderers. Everyone there was guilty. They were guilty of shedding blood. They were called them manslayers. I'm in there. Oh, they may have done it a little bit differently or something, but still, they were all guilty of the same thing. So when they went into the city, it says they could stay in the city as long as the high priest was alive. As long as that high priest was alive, they were saved. They could stay in there. Their eyes were constantly on the high priest. Is he still alive? Is he still alive? Is this high priest still alive? Because that's, their life depended on it. And then, then maybe they'd get news. The high priest had what? Died. And when the high priest was completely free to go back to their town, the manslayer couldn't go after him. That's a city of refuge. But I want to tell you there's a greater city of refuge. There's a greater high priest. Did you hear me? There's a greater offense. Huh? There's, there's things that we have. A greater city. A greater city that people are looking for to find refuge. Just like I did. And just like the world out there today. It's a greater city. Jesus said this. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set where? Up. The city of refuge. It can't be hid. And you're the light. And the people in the world are looking at us. They're looking at you in this light. And they're saying, what's going on in that city? You and I guilty oh see sin always brings forth death right the wages of sin is death sin when it's conceived brings forth what death it always brings forth death it brings death to marriages it brings death to communities it brings death to, to cities it brings death to nations sin our sin we don't sin because we don't, we're, we're not sinners because we sin. 
We're sinners because we're sinful. It's something just what we do in our own nature when we're not born again. And all of us are guilty of this, every single one of us. But there's a greater, there's even a greater offense that we have. The guilty, just like they were guilty of killing an innocent person in that city, we're guilty of, sin, of killing our sin, your sin, my sin, our offenses killed an even more innocent person. 2,000 years ago on a cross. 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. A man, a God, without any blemish, without any sin, so full of grace and so full of mercy, them they took and they placed him in on, a, on a cross. They beat him. They crucified him. And he died. We have, we are just as guilty of that as much as the people who actually nailed them up there. It's your sin and my sin that he died for. And we see these things and we know these things and we're just as guilty. And those things are coming to haunt us. Everything we've done is pursuing us, coming after us. We feel like our life is falling apart. We say, this is going to kill me. This life is going to kill me. It's going to do me in. I don't have any hope. I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have anything. And all of a sudden, we look and we see our guilt and we see what we've done and everything. We go, where can I go in place of this thing? This thing's out to get me. It's going to destroy me. And God says, the city of refuge. I've set cities. Just like that city with James and Frankie was my city. This is your city right here. He puts numerous cities all around for you and I, for us. That's what he does. And when we come into this city and we see our guilt, when we see what we've done, we come in here with the, and we look, and the first thing we look at is our high priest. Jesus, a greater high priest. The one who lived, the one who sacrificed for you and I. Oh, yeah, we killed him, but actually he died for us also. Just like when they were on the cross when they came to him and they said, if you're the son of God, get yourself down and save us. And he's thinking, if I get you down, you're killing me, but if I get you down, I can't save you. <laughs> There's no way I can save you. I'm here to save you. Even though they killed him, he died for them. Even though we killed him, he died for us. That's our high priest. And he's so compassionate and he's so caring. And we come into the city and we look at him and we say, he's alive. As long as he's alive, we can stay here. He is eternal. You have eternal life. You have eternal life, not when you die, but from the time you accepted Jesus, he gave you his life. And we come into this city, and our focus isn't on who we are or what we've done. It's focusing on the high priest, just like the other guys were. What's going on with my life? He's alive, and he's given me life, and he's given me joy, and he's given me grace. He's a great high priest. He's a wonderful high priest. He sacrifices. He understands what it is to be like me, and he understands what it is to go before me. This is our high priest. We live by his life. But then we look at the high priest again, because remember the high priest, when they were there, it said if he dies, they were set free. 
We live by his life and we're set free by his death. We live by his life and we're set free by his death. This is our God. This is our Jesus. This is who we focus our eyes on. This is who we look to. This is, what we, this is, this is our hope. This is our life. This is our strength. It doesn't matter what goes on out there in these other cities. It doesn't matter what happens in Oakland. It doesn't matter what happens in Seattle. It doesn't matter what happens in L.A. or New York. What happens is our city, the city of refuge, that's where our hope is. That's where our strength is. That's where we get our life. That's where we live it, constantly not focusing on on things, but focusing on Jesus is and, and his grace and all that he's done and his power and all who he is. That's our city. That's our city. But this is the kicker. Who's in the city? It says that anybody who lived in the land, whether Jew uh, or the stranger or Gentile, could come into that city. Now we got problems. Now we got problems. They all were guilty of the same sin. No one was any better or any worse than the other one. But God put both Jew and Gentile in our city also. It said he hath made the two one. He broke down the middle of our petition, not only between us and God, but between each other. We're all in the same city. We're all in the same body. We're all in the same church. But when, I, when the Jews heard that, that's not good. When he said, I'm going to bring the Gentiles in, wait a minute, wait a minute. We just think, yeah, bring everybody. You know, I mean, that's what I think. Bring them all. But the Jew says, you mean you're bringing the Egyptian? I've got a history with them and how they mistreated me. 400 years of slavery and bondage and mistreatment. We cried out to God and they treated us worse. Legitimate. Or the Assyrian. You mean you're going to bring the Assyrians, the ones that led us away captive? The ones that God allowed to come in? When they led away people captive, even the children of Israel, it says that they would cut off, they would take them in groups and they'd cut off an arm or a leg or something or a body part. And they would take them in and they'd strip them all naked to put fear in them so they doesn't revolt. They were cruel. They were probably, the, probably the, one of the cruelest races ever there was. People, when they knew the Assyrians were coming, oftentimes committed suicide so they wouldn't have to go through the torture. You mean you're bringing the Assyrians? You mean you're bringing the Babylonians? You mean you're bringing the Persians? You mean you're bringing the Philistines? You're bringing the Romans? You're bringing them? All these people, all these things that have happened, all the history of hurt, all the history of pain, all of them, they're coming in here and they have the same problem as you. They're guilty. They're guilty and they're coming into this city and it's a city of refuge and I will teach you to love and I will teach you to care for one another. Even the Samaritan says, you mean I got to go in here with the Jew? The Jew that said that I'm not even a human being, that I'm a dog, that I'm not good for anything but hell's fire? I'm coming into this place? Yes. Yes. Because we're a city who is set on a hill that cannot be hid. And when the world looks at this city in a dark place, a light, and they're going to look into that city and they're going to say, how do they do that? How does a 
black man take a white honky cracker into his house after he had eggs thrown at him from the time he was a youth ran over by a guy in a car trying to kill him called names, suffered so many things. What makes men do this? What makes him accept me into his city? What makes him do that? What does that? When they look into this city, he says, and they'll know you are my disciples by how much you prophesy, by how much mysteries you know, how many healings, huh? They'll only know that you're my disciples by how you love one another, that there's something different that gives a light to the world that the world won't be able to comprehend. But if they say, if there's this kind of peace, if there's this kind of joy, how do we do that? How do we get that? It's because we don't focus our eyes on each other. We keep our eyes focused on the high priest. If he loved me in my trespasses and sins, if he loved me when I was an enemy, when he loved me when I was without hope, when he loved me when I was guilty of shedding innocent blood, if he loved me, and this is the kicker, the innocent blood that we're guilty of is the high priest. That is stinking cool. Huh? We're guilty of his blood and he's covering us and giving us life and setting us free. Doesn't make sense. But it isn't supposed to make sense. It's beyond our comprehension. It's his great love that goes beyond the love of men or women or what this world has to offer. It's the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. It's grace. It's grace. It's wonderful, wonderful grace. It's wonderful grace. We're not even supposed to go into the city in this city, according to our, their covenant, we have a greater city. It says that one of the things that they weren't allowed to go into the city is if they killed someone with a wooden object and if they were an enemy beforehand. In Romans it says, he loved us while we were still enemies. We were his enemy. Didn't even know that, did you? And we killed him with a wooden object. We took him and hung him on a tree, a cross. We're not even supposed to be here by that. But there's a greater covenant. There's a greater love. There's a greater God with a greater grace. And we look and we say, how can you do it? One story. About 10 years ago, my grandmother died. Almost 100 Three days and one year short of 100. Chucks. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway uh, my family is a My Uncle Tim was quite a guy. Did a few years in the joint a few times, and he was the big tough guy of the family. You know, he was the big burly guy, and he always said he was going to beat up, you know, he went around causing nothing but havoc and pain, you know, in the family. You know, he was just a guy I couldn't stand. I couldn't stand to be around him. Every time I wanted to be around him, when I'd go home sometimes, I go, I'm going to beat him up. And uh, <laughs> even then as I got bigger, I was thinking, I'm really going to beat him up. Anyway, so <laughs> anyway, so I would go home, and I remember one time we were sitting there, and I go, I'm going to get him now. And something checked me and said, don't you do it. I go, I can't stand this guy. 
The reason I wanted to do it is because my dad, was, I said, was an alcoholic. He was probably six foot and didn't weigh probably more than 125, 130 pounds, and he just beat my dad up. And I said, I'm not going to let him get away with that. This guy caused heartache, pain, hardships for years, just a whole history of it. My grandmother, when she died, I was, he called me up and he goes, Charlie? That's how we talk. Charlie? And I go, yeah. And he goes, Uncle Tim. And I go, yeah, what do you want? I knew Mike. He goes, uh, you're the religious one of the family. <laughs> and I go, yeah. And he goes, I want you to come and I want you to speak at your grandma's funeral because you're the only Christian. You're the only religious one we got. And I was thinking, you know, I really wanted to tell him no, but for my grandmother, I'll do it, right? I mean, so for my grandmother, I did it. So I went and I remember I was standing there and then, you know, he had kind of a stubble beard then we all had. And he looked at me and he goes, didn't even shave for your grandma's funeral. I'm thinking, just shut up, Tim. Just shut up, you know, and he's giving. So we get up and everything, and so we spoke. I spoke, and at the end, I talked, I gave an altar call. I just said, you know, if anybody knows Jesus, and my grandmother did end up knowing Jesus at the end, I go, it's my grandmother now. She knows Jesus full well. And if there's anything she would want you to do and to know is that Jesus is alive and that he's real, and he wants you, she would want you to come to him. And I spoke for a while, then I quit, went home. He walked up to me afterwards, goes, if I could know you spoke like that, I wouldn't have paid the preacher, the other preacher. <laughs> you know? Anyway, so, so I get home. Two weeks later, on the phone, ring, ring, ring. Hello? Charlie! It's your Uncle Tim. And I go, yeah? He goes, I just want you to know I did what you said. And I'm thinking, what did I tell him? I mean, I can't remember. I told everybody else I didn't tell you. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> what did I tell him? I go, what? What did you do? He goes, I did what you said. He's just like that. And I go, what did you do? And he goes, I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. And he goes, it's so wonderful. He goes, I've never cried so much in my life. And he starts crying. He starts weeping. And I go, keep clapping for him. <laughs> I go, you can't do that. I have not beat you up yet. <laughs> so I had a kind of a hardened heart against him for a while, but he used to call me all the time. Hey, Charlie boy. Now I'm, hey, Charlie boy, how are you? I go, fine, how are you? Good, okay, yeah, see you later. So about the third phone call, he goes, hey, Charlie. And I go, yeah, and he goes, I just want to thank you, guy. I go, thank me for what? He goes, you know, you saved me. And I go, I don't save anybody, Tim, especially you. No, I didn't say that. Anyway, <laughs> he goes, no, you saved me. And I go, Tim, I, don't, I can't save you, only Jesus. He goes, I know that. He goes, but you told me, Charlie. He goes, and I want you to know how much I love you. And he goes, and I want you to know, guy, I pray for you every day. Every day I'm praying for you. Every day. melted and I go who am I to say this guy can't come into the city with me I took my eyes off the high priest on who he is and what he's done for me and I focus him on them that were in the city instead and he became one of my best friends he used to call me and tell me I remember one time I told him I said hey Tim yeah, I go, hey, I need you to pray for somebody. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. 
And I go, Tim, I just need you to pray for someone. What's the big deal? Oh, boy. That's how I, I go, what is it? He goes, well, I guess I can add that. And I go, add what? And he goes, well, I'm already up to 45 minutes every night. He goes, <laughs> but that's how he was. But until the day he died, he had a heart for Jesus. I remember he went into the, this gas station in this small town he was in, and someone asked him, what's different about you? He goes, ma'am, I'm a born-again Christian. <laughs> but this is our city. This is how we overcome. We can't change the world. We can only do like when we were set free. When they were set free, they said they could go out of the city. When we're set free, we go out of the city and we tell people, there's a city. There's a city. There's a city where a high priest is alive and he gave me life and he gave me hope. All those things, all those sins that are pursuing you, all the guilt, all the hopelessness, all feeling like you don't have any future or anything, he goes, there is a city. He set me free and he's given me his life. That is stinking cool. <laughs> so let's pray. Let's consider, what are we looking at here? Born this day in the city of David is Christ the Lord. It doesn't matter if Caesar reigns. It doesn't matter if Herod reigns. A Savior, Jesus, he's alive. And he's our great high priest. And he sacrificed for you. And he wants you to come into this place with him. He has great love for you. He has great, great compassion for you. This is our God. We get him. And the bad thing is, he gets us. <laughs> he loves us. He cares deeply about us. Have you been overcome by a great affection? Every time I take my eyes off of who's in the city and who's in the world and off the high priest, I begin to be negative and I begin to say, Lord, what's going on? But he says, focus on my life. Look at how broad the road is to here for you. Look at how easy I've made it. You're a city sailing on a hill, Charlie. People are looking like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen, I'll close with the scripture. Abraham, Isaac, dwelt in tents because they were seeking that had foundation whose builder and maker is God. We're just a glimpse of what the city will be there in Revelation 21 when he said, and I saw the city as a bride come out of heaven and there was no more sorrow and there was no more pain and there was no more death because Jesus was the light of it. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is the light of the city. And we're in a dark place. Go out and proclaim him. Love and care for one another the same way he loves and cares us. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church Sermon of the Week. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit EncounterJesus.us or search for Encounter Church San Leandro in your app store.